Everybody, thanks for coming back to Mormon Talk. Welcome back. Talk. You're so dead out there. What the hell is going on? Oh, oh there oh, we go. Oh. All right. We are live. We are live. Hey, we're holding back. Ah, you silly little audience. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so, anyway, yes, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Both, both of you. Yeah. All three of you out there. <laughs> for the one, the only, the Mormon talk, where today we're going to talk about apologizing for the Lord, apologetics. Yes. Mm, yes. The true calling of yes. the saints. We'll start by what the definition of that word is after a little news, and then we'll get into some shenanigans about some of that topic, huh? Without further ado, the LDS Church, LDS Church in, in the news. news. Sponsored by Fair Mormon. <laughs> Sponsored and if by- it's not real news, don't worry about it. Sponsored by Fair Mormon. I love it. That's awesome. Here's the news. Two arrested as health workers clear out and clean up downtown homeless camp in Salt Lake City. Looks like I'm going to have to find another place to live. Exactly. Two people were arrested Wednesday as protesters and police clashed over health workers' efforts to clean up downtown homeless encampments. The cleanup is part of the Salt Lake County Health Department's, quote, routine operations that occur about once a week, according to Nicholas Rupp, the department's communication manager. Hmm. Rupp? (laughs) Okay. Yes, Rupp. 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 (laughs) Of course, I was Rip Van Winkle, and I took a little creative license there. Yeah. Oh. Um, okay. Anyway, I think Frankie is asleep at the wheel. I oh, there he woke up. Oh, Very yeah. Nice. So, why did I bring this up? Because the church is involved with everything that happens in downtown, and I thought it was an interesting thing. It is actually kind of a poignant article. They show some pictures here of the people living in this camp downtown of course this is not the only city in the nation where this is happening jesus um but have you seen pictures from spokane or portland or oh yeah yeah, on and on yeah yeah it's it's kind of terrible and what's going on here the arrests came because you know people are like trying to get in the way whatever and it's kind of like this conflict because they're doing a good thing when the health workers are going in they're cleaning up some stuff Including the fact that people don't have bathrooms, okay? Mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. they're going in, like, trash cans or bags or whatever, and you got to clean that stuff up. They're doing it to help them, but then the people get the wrong idea, and, and sometimes there's a conflict, and it's it's hard. It's a difficult situation. But yeah, I just thought it was interesting to mention that they were arresting homeless people. The church isn't behind that, though, Mike. you got to... Be careful who you accuse. Yeah, I know. I They have no influence at all, actually, in the city. All right, guys. So, let's get into it. A little definition, and then we're going to jump into your segment, Dave. What do you think? Okay. Yeah. So, we're talking about apologetics in the church. We'll try to make it somewhat concise, because this is a topic that 
Well, Dave, you and I brought this up several times in prior episodes, even before the world of Mitch. The world of Mitch. Yes. and then, The world according to Mitch. Yeah, we brought it up mm. a lot. We had a line for the Lord one, which addressed right. true, true lies, a rip-off from Schwarzenegger. Yeah, <laughs> true lies. And Jamie Curtis. Yeah, you know, it's a verbose topic. How about that? And it is yes. definitely let, tied. Let me look up that word because I'm a fairly uneducated man. And okay. uh, I. The God. word topic. Well, that's, yeah. that's how the Lord needs to prepare you. No, look. You use the word look. Oh, look. Yeah, yeah. that's a tough one. Uh, hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> here's the thing. It starts with the definition of the word, which comes from the Greek apologia. Basically means in defense of a topic, in defense of some theme or topic. Okay. Not funny, the f- no, no, the funny okay. thing is, if you go to Fair Mormon, Fair Mormon has a definition, and they talk about apologetics. What is apologetics? Right? And for those who aren't aware of FAIR, Fair Mormon, which I forget what the acronym stands for. I'm not going to look it up right now. Uh, they are probably the leading, as far as organized effort, that's related to apologetics of the traditional mm-hmm. snakes. And they are funded by the church. And we'll talk about that link there, at least by the end of the conversation today, because I think it's important. Yeah. Oh, anyway, yeah. what's so funny to me is if you start with that simple concept, you start with the definition of the word apologetics on the FAIR website, they lie about the definition, <laughs> which is so perfect. <laughs> which is yeah. apologetics at its core. It's so they're funny. Apo- they're apologizing for the definition. It's so funny because, I've, you know, apologia has nothing to do with our concept of the word apology, uh, or at least how that's mm. deri- been derived through the centuries, how we use it in colloquial language in America and elsewhere. But yeah, apologia, again, defending a topic, defending a position. And they say it literally means defending the faith. Wow. That's, <laughs> and what a stretch. There's no yeah. word that represents faith in apologia. <laughs> I, I think we just finished the podcast. Yeah. I, right it's there. just so funny. That, right? That's I mean, a good point right there. Yeah. Let's start <laughs> off with a bad definition. <laughs> it's so perfect we'll build on that in a moment but we want to hear a little bit about for your 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 information Start off with a false prophecy. And this one's a whopper. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I had no knowledge of this prior to the reading. Okay. It is May 14th, of course, 1961. Okay. Apostle Joseph Fielding Smith announces to state conference in Honolulu, quote, we never will get a man into space. This earth is man's sphere, and it was never intended that we should get away from it. (laughs) Smith, the 12th president and next in succession as LDS president, adds, the moon, check this out. This sounds like Brigham Young. The moon is a superior planet to the earth, and it was never intended that man should go there. (laughs) Um, You can write it. 
check it out. You can write it down in your books that this will never happen. On July 20th, 1969, astronauts, and this is debatable, are the first men to walk <laughs> on the moon. Well, you know what? I, I have let's, to disagree because... Let's let the, crowd, let the crowd express. Yes. Thank you. Yo. Yeah, we love it. You know, uh, astronauts were not the first humans on the moon. We know from explicit revelation from Joseph Smith and Brigham Young that there were Quaker-like people living Quakers. That's right. Yeah. So that's and probably they, why they don't want any. They're like, hey, guys, you better not mess with the moon. We just don't want to, you know, mess with the Quaker people. Yeah. Uh, let them have freedom of religion. And they are the offspring of the people that live on the sun. So that's right. Let's. Not mess right. with that. It's well, a hot topic. It's kind of noble, right? Because if you think of like the prime directive for all the Trekkies out there, you don't want to interfere with these people, right? You don't want to show them that you have space travel capability and screw up their culture. And <gasps> What is this strange being and vehicle from the sky? You know, you don't want to like screw up their Grandpa? Progress. Grandpa? Is yeah. that you? <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, okay, let's, let's jump to June. Let's jump down to June 22nd. The first presidency supports a plan to persuade U.S. Army to send its colored contingents to California rather than Utah. And here's that mentioned in our post talk. October 4th, first meeting of all church coordinating council, the correlation program administrative organization for restructuring almost every program and organization in the church. Because when God first created it, he didn't get it right. So we're going to restructure, reorganize the whole effing thing because, you know, God, wait, I'm not sure how to make an excuse for that. Okay. You know, what's funny is that's part of apologetics in a way, this concept in the church, and you guys recall this and probably worth an episode in itself, this kind of battle of ideas, I guess, of on the one hand, this is the only true church in the whole universe, and God created it, and he gave direct revelation to his leaders on how to do it, right? Set stuff up, etc., what the doctrines are. But then that constant topic that comes up, of, but, you know, God isn't going to hand us everything on a silver platter. We have to use our own minds and our own effort, right? And we have to, he wants us to study things and, and do things on our own. And so, where that line is, right? And it's used as an excuse a lot in those kind of things, right? Like, to your point, if God set it up, it should already be ready to go, right? Like, hey, here's my doctrine. Here's what you should teach. Well, I'll keep a little bit of that back so that they can struggle a little and learn, <laughs> you know? After all, that's the purpose of life. Yeah. Where is that line, right? Where did it come from God? And where is it a mistake of the people trying to do things right? Yeah. it's They're just making adjustments, Michael. Gosh. 
anyway. Okay, this is a piece of history real quick. December 4th, the end of that year, establishment of the language training program known as the LTM. Yes. I found that interesting that that was the date I knew of its organization, but not the date. This is a funny one. We'll end on this. 1962, the MIA, which is the Mutual Improvement Association, which became the Young Men and Young Women's Program, yep. bans the twist, popular <laughs> dance among teenagers and young adults. You can dance, but don't be gyrating your hips like that. It's too suggestive. <laughs> yeah, I thought we'd just end on that. Oh, little note. did they know that Elvis would come in a few years, right? And oh, he would be gyrating God. those hips. <laughs> he was the definition of it. And, oh, uh, man. Well, and Jerry Lee Lewis. Let's not forget good old Jerry. Yeah, yeah. Um, playing the piano with his feet <laughs> yeah and and talking about having sex with a 16 year old yeah good old jerry he he and joseph yeah Smith yeah he <laughs> i think joseph and him are probably hanging out right now yeah they probably are literally i mean you know all right so <laughs> thank you bro very fun huh. you know mike let me open with this statement if you will yep from our good friend Elder Maxwell, I think it's a good way to start, and then I'll let you guys run with it. Quote, while our defense of the kingdom may not stir all hearers, the absence of thoughtful response may cause fledglings among the faithful to falter. Yes, what we assert may not be accepted, but unasserted convictions soon become deserted convictions. A little play on words there. A very smart man. So what did he just say? That what we're doing is assisting those of weaker faith. Mm. So we need apologetics because some people just aren't strong enough to deal with those questions and those doubts. It's true. It's very true. I was one yeah. of those. I tried to be an apologist and I fell fell off the wayside really fast. Yeah, My way to go, Mitch. Too weak. So I had to rely on others. You know, that's interesting though. And this theme will yeah. keep coming back to us as we talk through this topic together. Why does the only true church in the universe even require apologetics as an effort? Right. Like, mm. wouldn't the no. only absolute truth be so compelling and so attractive, even to fledgling members, to Maxwell's phrase, that they really wouldn't need you to explain difficult questions or things, you know? And well, this seems Michael, shitty. You may have forgotten our present state as mortals. We are basically fucking idiots down here. And God created that. On purpose. He keeps us wanting to search for truth, but forever holding it from us in completion, you know, a complete whatever. Hmm. You, you get my point. So it's that constant groveling for his. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Yeah, groveling for his love. There's another podcast. That's <laughs> it. That's where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I I don't know, guys. To me, if you've got the truth, it would be pretty damn compelling, and there would never be 
at least any serious issues that would come up where you'd be like, oh, man, we got to have an answer for this. This is problematic. Well, right? again, now now that's a whole nother subject. Time-tested truth. In other words, truth, it manifests itself as it bounces off the rigors of time. In other words, again and again and again, this is shown to take place in this manner, this way, scientific process is what we're talking about here okay I'll, I'll cut me off cut me off let's not go there yeah um definitely and and his second statement maxwell's second statement let me just get through this so that i can sit here and fold my arms and say my prayers <laughs> there there will be a convergence of discoveries and then the check out this disclaimer never enough mind you to remove the need for faith to make plain and plausible what the modern prophets have been saying all along. Do not expect incontrovertible proof to come in this way, but neither will the church be outdone by hostile or pseudo scholars. So there you have it. The only scholars are those who are in defense of the truth, which is the church. So the, it is quite the conundrum to me because I, I agree. <laughs> basically, the one true church, as Mike was saying, has to have this effort of apologetics. Yeah. But it's, you know, they've shot themselves in the foot. They're the ones claiming that they're the one true church. And it's just ironic that they're doing this. It's like, we're the one true church and we won't apologize, but we've got these branches that'll kind of apologize for us, but not really. We're, we're just justifying the history that we lied to you about. And but we won't apologize for that either. No, but we do have excess tithing funds. And so we'll send a little their way. You know, mm. I mean, come on. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I also have a, a very lovely quote. This is the attitude of the church that has been going since the beginning, again, because in my opinion, their truth claims. They can't, quote unquote, apologize because they're the one true church and they've set themselves up to be the one true church. And <laughs> the the prophet won't lead the church astray. God just won't allow it. And so uh, here's a quote from our beloved D. Hoax. <clears throat> you ready for this? You yes. may have heard it. It was from an article a few years back. Are you going to channel he Oaks? Oh, oh, let me uh, let me try and channel him. Me, 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 me. <laughs> Are you here, Brother there Dallin? Is. Brother Dallin. My dear beloved brothers and sisters, I know that the history of the church is not to seek apologies or to give them. We sometimes look back on issues and say, maybe that was counterproductive for what we <laughs> wish to achieve. But we look forward and not backward. The church doesn't, quote, seek apologies, close quote, and we don't give them. No, so, no shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, right sorry. Right from the horse's mouth. Oh. That's why uh, I find this subject so fascinating is because we've got the leadership of the church, the mainstream of the church saying, hey, we might look at our history and and realize that we did things a little differently than we would, may have wanted to. Yeah. Uh, but uh, don't worry. Don't worry. We can't apologize. We won't apologize. We're, we're looking forward, not backward. So inspiring, Elder Oaks. They're looking forward, not backward. Yeah, it's so funny. That, that sounds like uh, Gordon with his blips of history. 
Yeah. Mm, yes. Yes. The yeah. little blips. Little blips. Those little blips on the radar. Let's not worry about those blips. Yeah. Yeah, they're just blips. We look forward. It's to all them. in the past. Yeah, the blips. The blips of men, women, and children being killed by white men dressed as Native Americans. You know, that's just a blip. I mean, come on. The sexual abuse, etc. I'm digressing quickly. So, <laughs> great, great background there. Let me give folks a little bit of quick history on the apologetics in the church. And so, this is, I know, this is terrible that I keep doing research. There's a Wikipedia article in Wikipedia <laughs> called Mormon Studies. There's a little section here called apologetics and polemics. Now, I had not heard the word or the term polemics. Mormon scholars, here's a quick background, okay? Mormon scholars are divided on whether or not apologetics should be considered part of Mormon studies. Brian D. Birch argues that it should be a part of Mormon studies as long as apologetic authors concede that their arguments are objective and subject to academic debate. Now, that's oh, not okay. Okay, that... Yeah. That was the, one of the quotes I had, is that none of their stuff is peer-reviewed. No, it's not. Apologists yeah. write defensively and view their polemical responses to criticism as a battle for their faith. Parley P. Pratt responded to Mormonism Unveiled in detail in his 1838 pamphlet, Mormonism Unveiled, check out the length of this title, Mormonism Unveiled, colon, Zion's Watchman Unmasked and its editor, Mr. L.R. Sunderland Exposed, comma, Truth Vindicated, comma, The Devil Mad, comma, and Priestcraft <laughs> in Danger. <laughs> that was his title wow. of his response. Wow. Was there cocaine available back then? <laughs> I don't know. It's just the longest I, title apparently. in the world. So, Pratt argued against Sunderland's character. So, he did an ad hominem thing, quoting Hurlbut, who stated that Sunderland has, quote, a notorious character, unquote. So, that's mm. way back. You could, this is the kind of the history quickly of the church's apologetics that I'm getting. I'm thinking into. that's about 38, maybe. Yeah. 1838. So, Joe, real quick, yeah. polemic uh, as defined by the dictionary on Google. Uh -huh. da, da, da. Uh, it means a strong verbal or written attack on someone or something. Oh, okay. Interesting. So if it's on you something, go. you could still fall into reasonable apologetics. If it's on a instead person. Of, instead of someone, yes. Yeah. If it's on someone, yeah. then you're jumping into ad hominem. Okay. So okay. Parley P. Pratt, that's why he's brought up here because he's thought of as kind of, this is when the birth, if you will, of Mormon apologetics really happened was as far back as 1838 in his response to Mormonism Unveiled. Okay. We jump way forward to Hugh Nibley's reign. He was kind of the the bad boy, right? So he was you may, he was the pioneer. Yeah. Really. He really was of what it would become, right? What yes. what apologetics would become in the church. So you may recall Fawn Brody's book called No Man Knows My History, right? So Hugh Nibley mm -hmm. wrote a response called No Ma'am, that's not history. Not history. <laughs> Which is kind of clever. If you've read her book, it is a scholarly work. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that he doesn't respect that 
fuck well, him. He's got an agenda, right? So yeah, of Hugh, course. Hugh Nibley's no ma'am, that's not history, set a standard for apologetics to use academic language. So there, the, the academia kind of entered into it and criticized mm-hmm. Brody's use of sources in her controversial biography of yeah. Joseph Smith, No Man Knows My History. The foundation, here's, here's farms. This is one of the things I was thinking of. The foundation for ancient research ancient and research. Mormon studies, um, farms, aimed to support the mm. historical authenticity of the Book of Mormon and respond to criticism and used Nibley's academic style to counter research that contradicted the Book of Mormon's ancient origins. Farms collaborated with Deseret Book to publish the complete works of Hugh Nibley starting in 1984. I remember that period. In 1997, LDS Church President Gordon B. Hinckley Invited farms mm. to be officially affiliated at BYU. So that was the first time the church essentially adopted this apologetic separate group of people. And uh, endorsed yes. and funded. Yes, endorsed and funded them. In 2006, it was submitted by the Neil A. Maxwell Institute of Religious Scholarship. So then we jump further. In 2012, Daniel Peterson, the editor of Farms Review, started publishing a new journal called Interpreter. The Foundation for Apologetic Information and Research, FAIR, so there's the next group, a group including both lay people and academics, attempted to answer criticisms of the Mormon faith. In 2013, it changed its name to FAIR Mormon. So that's kind of the quick history there. Um, okay. So, so that brings us pretty much to the current state. So, another little recap here to wrap this up. Some other Mormon insiders countered the Book of Mormon's ancient origins through the Smith Pettit Foundation in Salt Lake City and George Smith's Signature Books Publishing Company. Signature Books published, quote, new approaches to the Book of Mormon by Brent Metcalf and American Apocrypha by Dan Vogel. I'm well aware of Vogel stuff. And met oh, yeah. These insider views of the Book of Mormon's origins were diverse. American Apocrypha described the Book of Mormon as a work of fiction, reflecting its environment. Osler argued that the Book of Mormon was partially inspired. Farms' responses were at times patronizing and even descending into veiled name-calling in William Hamblin's 1994 critique of Metcalfe's essay. Oh, my God. Think about Osler's response. How is something partially inspired? Yeah, it's like, like I, I was looking yeah. in the hat and then I looked away. Then I was looking in the hat. Then I looked away. Yeah. What the well, fuck is but, that? But the thing is, is like you, you can get into that. Whereas there are things that may be partially inspired, but this goes back to the truth claims. Yeah. Joseph Smith said that the Book of Mormon was the most correct book on earth. The church claims that they are the one and only true church with the only true gospel. Yep. And that's why this is hilarious cuz now these apologists are coming out going, "Well, I uh, it's it's a, it's partially spiritual. Uh, if you read some passages, it gives you inspiration and you can feel the spirit of the Lord and you, if will you follow his gospel. Is it accurate? I well, let's not talk about that. They <laughs> they shoot themselves historically, historically correct? Hysterically correct. Wait, hysterically eat correct. these mushrooms, eat these mushrooms and and read it again. You'll have a different experience. I promise. That's, that's true. That's true. What I find fascinating about apologetics, they can get as fancy or as yeah. scholarly as they want. But there's no way because they're fighting against themselves. They set it up. 
The yeah. church said That's, that the Book of Mormon was the most correct. The church said that they are the one and only true church. The church says and still says to this day, a lot more quietly, the Lord won't allow the prophet to lead this church astray. Yeah. And guess what? It's happening. It's coming out. You know, that's a good point. That's a really good point, Mitch. That language has diminished from the poll. Have you noticed? When's the last time that you heard that? Both the prophet won't lead us astray and the argument against the Book of Mormon that if it's true, then everything else is true. Mm -hmm. And if it's false, it's all false. That, I haven't heard that in years. It's becoming less talked about openly and more talked about in the lessons. Because if you go through the lesson manuals, yeah. that language, even though it might be a little tweaked, it's the same message. Another D hoax quote is, uh, it is wrong to criticize the leaders of the church, even if the criticism is true. That's right. <laughs> so yeah. they are still doing this. Yeah, it's the head scratch. Whereas on the side, the the apologists are sitting here trying to apologize for the church and the church is like, well, yeah, you can do that, but we're not, we're not apologizing, but thanks for giving us a good face. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, one thing I wanted to capture in our little conversation today is the phases, which we kind of went through the a little evolution. bit of, yeah. yeah, a little bit of in that Wikipedia synopsis, right? So the, Back to Parley P. Pratt, who kind of started the effort and started defending the church, at least in a, some kind of a public written, you know, referenceable way in his response to Mormonism Unveiled. Not really academic, more just kind of, hey, this isn't true, you know, me versus you type approach. Hugh Nibley really started that whole academia focused style. For and years. by the way, one one quick reference there, and and he's written no, ma'am, that's not history, and all of those. There is a book that he wrote about the uh, uh, Egyptian papyra right after sixty seven yeah. when it was given back to the church, <laughs> Which and was never taken it. But. It is filled with language that what it does is it hypnotizes you. Yeah. It's so scholarly hmm. that you just walk away saying, well, fuck, that must be true. Yeah. Look at the language he's using. And it's a piece of shit, of course, because it takes two words to describe the Egyptian papyra. It's false. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I'm sorry. That was an aside. I, I, I read a lot of Nibley stuff. I was taken in by the men. I'm taken in by intellectuals. And uh, so I fell for that one big time. Yeah. And, and so mm -hmm. what happens is it moved from academia during which that period, not only was Nibley doing this, but the ancient, you know, farms was out. They, they had the archaeologists digging, right? A, a bunch of projects in Central and South right. America. Every time they found something else, see, see, this is more proof, physical proof that, <laughs> that you know, Lamanites and Nephites lived here, etc. And then over time, things changed. So, you started getting other studies from other groups, including groups as profound as the Smithsonian Institute, you know, and others, where they were discovering, guys, your dates are fucked, right? Like these things you're finding are way more ancient than what you said the Book of Mormon is, right? And things like this. Yeah. And then, of course, that would transcend into later days where we actually did DNA studies, 
we find that the Native Americans all came from Eastern Asia across the land bridge, or maybe some of them sailed boats, who knows? That's where their DNA traces back to. It has nothing to do with Israel or the Middle East, you know, and so these things start coming out. You also have this phase which starts to kill the academic approach a little bit, right? So you're like, oh, now what do we do, right? So that's going on in tandem with a phase that many of us will recall, which really, you know, around Nibley and moving forward for for several decades, very defensive, argumentative, attacking style. And Daniel mm-hmm. a lot Peterson, of, a lot of ad hominem going yeah, on. Yeah, lots of ad hominem. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. You have you obviously haven't read this book, or you know, just very We're the scholars. Attacking. You're not exactly. Approach. Peterson yeah. led a lot of that effort, and he had his heyday heading up some of these groups, and then he was essentially kicked out because the church was like, you know mm-hmm. what, we need a softer, gentler approach, and so they yeah. changed their style. Yeah. And if I can quote Neil Young, yeah. we need a, a softer, gentler machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know that song. Or, anyway. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, a softer, gentler. And so, you get, you fast forward a little bit up to 10, five years ago now, you've got people like Terry Givens and his wife, Fiona Givens, giving firesides, right. writing books like The God Who Weeps right? The touchy-feely spiritual, hey, you know what? We may not have all the answers to some of these things that seem to be like counterproductive or counterintuitive or just false. Or unscientific. You know, but remember how you feel and remember, you know, and this this appeal to the spirit and this appeal to the supernatural, which is a logical fallacy, you know, but this is a new approach. Come on, it's superior. I don't yeah. know why you haven't figured that out yet, Michael. The, the spirit is superior to your intellect, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Whatever Come the on. spirit is. Yeah. Uh, and so, <laughs> now, guys, we're changing again. And this is what I wanted to cap on. And I'd love your guys' thoughts. And I have a quote from Holland as <clears> well here, which is interesting, when he recently addressed the Neil A. Maxwell Institute that I'll play in a minute. But we're we're in this interesting conundrum at this point, Right. So, academia is still espoused as something to pursue, but it's mm-hmm. it, there's this huge warning, and you'll hear it in part of what Holland says. There's a big, big warning okay. with it where they say, you know what? Academia needs to be hand-in-hand hand with faith, and if there's ever a conflict, you need to err on the side of faith and the spirit instead okay. of academia. So, so evidence is in constant conflict with non-evidence. Right, right. So that's <laughs> okay. one of the that's so the, air air towards non-evidence. Okay, exactly. Air towards right. touchy feely. So that's the official word from the church brethren, etc. Going on in the same hmm. breath. And Mitch, you alluded to this a little bit with your comment on you know what's in the manuals, right? In the same yep. breath, we know like in 2013 forward, the church published like the gospel topic essays, etc. And so, you have this dual contradictory thing going on where in one Mm -hmm. side of their mouth, the church is, well, we're being transparent. Look, we're talking about the realities that Joseph used a rock and a hat and et cetera, et cetera. And they're giving a different narrative, for example, about how he translated the book of Abraham. That's coming out of one side of their mouth so that they can show transparency. Out of the other side of the mouth which is published in their manuals, gospel doctrine manual, primary manuals, young men, young women, 
the same narrative that the three of us grew up with is still there. 150 years old. So, Mitch, let me ask you a question. How is, because you're a bit of a ventriloquist and an impressionist and and so forth. And how hard is it to talk out of both sides of your mouth? You know, I find it better to talk out of my mouth and then out of my ass. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) more of this usage. So, I'm wondering if that's what they're doing. You know. They're shooting all that shit out of their ass, and then they're like, I, but I'm uh, with you. <laughs> I'm in agreement. I'm in total agreement with that. Yes, uh, I think that's oh, what man. So my okay. question. I, I have a question to pose to you two. I think we all went through this phase where we were leaving the church, and I, I call it the apologist phase or the progressive phase, where we start looking at the church a little differently, and we start, for lack of a better term, which fits, apologizing for the church's history. We start justifying it. Making excuses. Um, and yeah, then, now, do you mean personally ex- or to someone else? To yourself. Uh, Maybe both, bo- right? Both. both. Okay. Yeah. okay. For your own testimony and then to members alike. Okay. My question is, is there, they, at least for me, there came a part of my journey where I had this thought of like, well, the Lord needs members like me uh-huh. to help. Oh. Forward and to oh, have the my true God. Yeah. The true church. I walk through that. History come out yes. and I think I, a lot of us do. Yes. And so my question, applying to the individual member that has that apologetic mindset, as well as to these huge organizations, Fair Mormon, etc., their apologetics, do they actually make a difference? Are they actually, because um, I guarantee most of them are like, I'm making a difference in this church. I'm, I'm, Pushing well, it towards a better light, and I guess that's my question: Is well, that they wouldn't they wouldn't keep doing the reality? Yeah, they wouldn't keep doing it if they didn't think there was some positive results. Uh, I think it, it's a, it's self delusion, obviously, mm-hmm. but that's very satisfactory <laughs> under uh, certain yeah. conditions. Yeah. Like oh oh, you know, I'm actually. And I got what you said there. I'm one of God's special, intelligent children. Who I'm so fucking smart that I can see the falsehood, twist it into truth, and still stay. Very few can do that. So I'm sorry for you other guys. Yeah. And, you know, not only I, I have to say my thought on that is. It's probably a mixture, right? There's definitely self-disillusionment going on as far as the real effect that this is having on helping console members with their doubts and helping them stay in the church. But Mm -hmm. I'm sure there is some of that, right? For sure. There's a percentage of members when they read the apologetics, they go to like a site like Fair Mormon, or they hear something, you know, of that vein. Okay, well, let me quick check on the source. Oh, it's church sponsored or it's directly from the church. So I'm good. It's absolutely true. And you hear the message. Oh, yep. That. Okay. Well there, Hey, look at that. I had a doubt and now it's resolved. Let me speak to that subject that I think you brought up, Mitch, and maybe I didn't catch what you were saying, but for an example, I had a book entitled Everlasting Burnings. Now, that's a reference to the King Follett discourse that God dwells in everlasting burnings. And this guy wrote an entire book on that one quote from that one funeral sermon. I thought I was in touch with the deepest, heaviest shit available 
about the Mormon church. And I felt special. I always, always was trying to find something deeper. And I think it was because of the lack of substance at the surface. You get what I mean? There, there wasn't anything of any nutritional value, if you will, that was available in, in the daily routine of Mormondom. And so I dug deeper. And I was the one that seemed to find these sources and these writings and that. And, oh, I'm privy to the hidden knowledge. Hence the statement in the church, the mysteries of godliness. Well, there's no mystery except that he doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sorry for that. I read a book one line long, the mystery of God. There is no mystery. He doesn't exist. Yeah. 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 And it'll, um, it'll be a top seller. I can only speak to my experience. And I guess maybe in a wrong way, I assume a lot of members are similar to where it's more of a fervor for faith. You're, you've just got this. You, you want to fight for the faith. Sure. I guess my point is, is to me, it's all in vain. You can't, even in my own opinion, even the big apologists at Fair Mormon or wherever that are, sponsored by the church they are fighting for a church that in their mind exists which in all reality does not nor will never exist because the leadership is still the same they still teach the same thing so they're being used is my opinion i guess i'll say it pretty forward it's just they're being shit on they're being used like yeah give us a good face but we're gonna still teach this curriculum it's a great segue, Mitch. This. I just saw the evolution of a Mormon apologist in my mind, raised in the church, give hundreds of, well, tens of thousands of dollars in tithing and fast offerings, do all of your duties, go on a mission, get married in the temple, the whole nine yards, go to BYU, get a degree, get a second degree, teach at BYU. Thank you very much for going through that program. And now you're able to apologize for us. <laughs> yeah, that's part of it. That's exactly. those are the type of people you wow. just described. Is that what you meant by being used? Yeah, uh, Mitch? I mean, yeah. being used in the way of like the church. You just think of it as a what it is—a corporation. The business Absolutely. is trying to keep a good face, and so they will really? allow its members to peddle good-looking shit so that they can be like, yeah, yeah, that's that's what you know. Let them do that. We'll sell this book in the corner here and on this back shelf. We'll put the church essays up five links away, but. What they still teach in the manuals does not change. It doesn't change. Oh, okay. I I get your point. Yeah, they're having their cake and eating it too. That's the Mm -hmm. idea, right? And the the kind of people you just described, both of you, are the ones who populate the ranks of the Neil A. Maxwell Institute. Of course. These are the people who dedicate their lives to something they feel is very valuable above and beyond the lay member who doesn't get involved to that level are these members who are like, Hey, we're, it's like this premier calling this premier opportunity, right? The the smugness, uh, what I was referring to with even myself, unfortunately, uh, just a little bit brighter than the average member. I got a little more insight here and I'm in a privileged class, even though God doesn't believe in a class system. Of course not. We're all equal in his eyes, but <laughs> come on, man. Well, here's, whatever. and here's the thing. And, and, and this is whatever. why I think your, your statements, uh, Mitch, were a good segue because I was talking about like, where are we today? Right. So we've got this double mm-hmm. message going on. 
with, again, what's in the manual still, which is primarily still the old narrative that we're all familiar with, versus this other stuff that's out there that contradicts it, Mm. which is kind of downplayed, but there to show transparency. And then what is the state of apologetics? That's kind of like the manuals and the doctrine, quote unquote. Apologetics is in this situation where there's a dual message happening too, which is really interesting. So, there's this touchy-feely approach, which officially, right, the church is still promoting. And these are the things and the approach and the message that to the public – This is our approach now, guys. We want academia in it always, but we want to err on the side of faith and touchy-feely. And at the end of the day, it's your testimony that will tell you whether this is true or not. And that will never go away. That will never go away. But here's the interesting thing. In the latest and greatest version of apologetics happening at the same time is the tits show. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> this is the show is what it's I called. And so the acronym ironically is TITS, which I'm still not sure whether they intended or not. Part of me thinks they did to have a shock value. And so you have this show by Kwaku and I forget the other guy's name, who are these young, you know, young millennial, Gen Z, whatever, the, however the generations go. And they're in this newscaster type stage, right? And they are attacking Jeremy Reynolds in the CES letter. They're attacking these mainstream, you know, critics of the church. And they are very ad hominem. So, we're back to that again. It's very edgy. And, and, you know, Kwaku, one of the episodes, actually drops the F-bomb. You're led to believe that they bleep out, right? It's like that (laughs) edgy. And, And here's the thing. And it also goes back to something both of you pointed out in a few instances earlier in the conversation. The church loves this because they're not directly by name involved, but they are sponsoring it. So, they get plausible deniability, but they're still (laughs) getting this other technique, right? So, in combination with the technique that probably in their minds helps more with older members, right? Like middle to older aged, then they have this edgy, young, you know, flashy style coming out over here, which they hope will help with the younger saints to stay in the church. And here's the thing that a lot of people don't realize. You have the Tits Show is sponsored by Fair Mormon, which is a big shock right there to a lot of people because Fair Mormon has never been so edgy, you know, in your face, whatever like that. They're more, they try to be academia. Right? Well, and then whatever you, appeals to the audience. Yeah, what that's sell? right. That's right. It, so it's all salesmanship. So here's the link Fair Mormon sponsors this show. An organization called The More Good, you can look this up online, guys. The More Good Foundation is the main sponsor for Fair Mormon. And The More Good Foundation is sponsored by the church. Hmm. So there's your three level link. So who's really sponsoring the tit show? It's the church. The church. But it's three levels away, so it's plausibly deniable. Here's the minute thing I wanted to play for you guys. This is a couple years back. Holland is out basically calling the Neil A. Maxwell Institute to repentance. Ooh. He really gets on them because they're not doing the right job in that they're not erring on the side of faith. They're well, not and lying he's such to the a Lord. happy man, and all of his talks and statements are so happy. They are. Yeah. Look at his face. He's so happy. It's just elation. 
So here's Holland talking to the Maxwell. This is his talk was only about thirty minutes, thirty four minutes. So what we, I'd love to pick it apart actually and make an entire episode around it because it's actually worth oh, yeah, it. But uh, here's just a little piece. This gives you guys an idea of what's going on here. Friends, what we're asking you to do is difficult. It is demanding. It is among the stiffest challenges we could give you. We know you can't be credible in every circle if you're seen as lacking scholarly substance and categorically defensive all the time. But neither can you afford to ever be perceived as failing to serve the larger faith-oriented purposes of this church. All we can ask is that you pray and fast and strive and sweat to find your way through. And then if there be error, let it be on the side of your covenants and on the side of your faith convictions. I promise what? the board won't return in five years or ever and come down on you saying that you made a mistake in doing so. So there you go. If you're going to make errors at the end of the day, I don't want to make this sound like a threat, but you better be erring on the side of those covenants that you made. Because mm -hmm. if you, even, yeah. Yeah. Even though every other particle of your being says otherwise. Ah, yeah. You don't want that flaming sword. No. So two points I think we can end on discuss the last couple of minutes here is kind of what we've talked about a little uh, hinted at throughout the episode, which is I just think it's hilarious that apologetics exist because of the truth claims of the church. There's no way that they're going to win ever, ever. Yeah. They can get as fancy as they want. They're not going to win because of the truth ironically, from the one church that says they have the truth. Ironically, the truth is actually going to be their downfall. That's and right. And it is becoming their downfall. That's right. Yeah. No matter how they try and fight it, it's going to yeah. happen. It's happening right now. People are still leaving in droves. Yeah. People are leaving because of the truth, which is ironic because they're the one true church. Um, and then I think my second point, and then I'll shut up and we can have the last couple of minutes to discuss I think that the church is fucking desperate and I think they know it yeah. and to release videos, even if three tiers away, the, the tits go and look at these videos. They're ridiculous. They're yeah. ridiculous. Uh, they're actually shooting themselves in the foot. I, we don't have to do anything. We, we just let it happen. <laughs> yeah. They're literally <laughs> lying. The they're literally lying and falsifying facts mm -hmm. in these videos, oh, which yeah. is really really a dangerous way to play this and yeah. you can just watching those videos you can see the church's desperation yeah because that's where they're at they're losing and they're going to keep losing and it's it's going to you know no if about it they're losing because it, the it truth does, uh, michael made a reference to the mafia yesterday i thought was brilliant vincenzo didn't kill him vincenzo sent you know whoever and then Please. he sent <laughs> his brother and and yeah fucking cowards they're a bunch of fucking cowards thank you i feel better now there you, you go know, i was gonna save Hello. this Ooh. for when we really dissect holland's talk but i have to play this first little bit because it goes exactly <laughs> exactly along what you guys were just talking about let me play this little tidbit look at the technique 
that Holland well, I, uses here. I just love his voice. Yeah. Look at this technique as he introduces what he's talking about. You're probably thinking that this no. opening is a bit melodramatic for the purposes of this gathering, referencing the first vision, priesthood ordinances, the advent of the king, the significance of end times generally. Mm. I prefer to see it as apostolic. These are the topics that absorb 15 of us who toss and turn when we'd like to sleep and slumber. In that spirit, my friends, I can think of few other entities on this campus that have received the attention from the general officers of the church that the Maxwell Institute has. I'll just pause it there. Oh, uh, but look how he's playing that. We're losing sleep. Why are you losing sleep? Why should the apostles, the prophets, seers, and revelators of the only true church on the face of the earth be losing sleep at night? Thinking about the group that's in charge of their apologetics. Uh, I wonder if the Dalai Lama loses sleep at night based on his belief system. Yeah. Or... Yeah. Todd Guru, or I could just go down the list. I think not. Yeah, no pressure. And he throws that careless, abusive word in there, apostolic. I'm a fucking apostle, oh, yeah. and I'm coming down here. I'm here. Not only should you feel privileged, you should feel fearful, because the church, the brethren have seen fit that they sent an apostle down here to talk to you guys. And About why is that? Yeah. Why yeah. is that? You're not erring on the side of your faith enough. So if I have to make you fearful, I guess I will, because we're losing sleep, damn it. You know, do your mm. job better. Yeah, it's pretty it's it's pretty telling the whole approach that's used yeah. there. Wow. Well, anyway. th this is a series uh, of events at BYU. Yeah. A cleansing, if you will. Mm -hmm. Cleanse the inner vessel was Ezra Taft Benson's uh, message. Yeah. And that included, hey, we've got a lot. And I've got some quotes coming up in the next week or two mm. for your information about that very thing during David O. McKay's time. The shit they're teaching down there, I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why isn't the curriculum consistent? Well, it is. Well, they got an education and now they're kind of thinking for themselves, too. Uh-oh. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah, the church needs to apply a good anal douche every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're wrapping it up, boys. There may very well be some follow-up to this because there's so much we could talk about. Any it's final words true. of wisdom? Uh, maybe uh, I, I hear Monson's hiding backstage now. Maybe he should come out and end the show. Yeah, maybe. You know, Gordon said he was off to Hawaii. We still pulled him in in a recent episode. He was over the mm -hmm. phone, which was fine. Nice of him to call in from Hawaii and listen to the show. That's but he true. mentioned, I guess, that Tommy was going to be hanging around while Gordon was on vacation. I think Gordon's back now, but Tommy did come in and he wanted to say a few words, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I know he's back. What I heard is he was getting a pre-show uh, pedicure but i oh, don't know if that's yeah. still going on um, now he's still finishing know. off his 32 ounce diet coke yeah he is a diet coke guy for sure yeah that's true yeah um, hey uh to tommy tommy you, you back there tommy you mm. you around nothing but crickets huh 
Well, let's see. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you, Tommy. Thanks for joining Tommy. us. There must have been some technical difficulties. Yeah, I think I was back getting a pedicure and I heard you talking about truth. What a wonderful subject that is. Yeah. I would like to say, wait, wait, Tommy, before you go on, uh, we only got a few minutes. So I know you're long winded. I don't know if you're still long winded as a resurrected being, but yeah, maybe you should keep this short and not tell a personal story. Thanks, Mitch. Yeah. It, like last night, he kept it short. Oh, oh, I see what you I understand what you must have done there, David. That's called a sex joke. I used to be I used to not like sex jokes. But now I don't mind them. <laughs> Thank you, brother. You're welcome. All I have to say is this truth is truth. It does not matter if you try to put it with fancy flowers or pudding or chocolate around it. Just like the analogy the church used so many times in their history. Would you eat a piece of poop with ice cream? <laughs> no. Of course you wouldn't. It's still a piece of uh, shit. Close call. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. Thanks, thanks Tommy. Thanks. So uh, basically, from what I gather, your message is just because apologists sprinkle their shit with chocolate shavings doesn't mean that it's going to take the poop taste out. You're still eating I, shit. I'm going to end with a offering from Leonard Skinner. Ooh, that smell. Can't you smell that smell? You can know before you taste by the smell what it is you're headed toward. That's true. I'm sorry, David. That was me. A little, oh. little fluff out. I have fluff. some nachos. <laughs> Gordon told me. That's a nice word nachos. for it. That's oh. what I did. Give me a little bit of gas. Do you equally enjoy tacos? <laughs> That's a personal question. <clears throat> I'll share more later. Okay. Let me go back to my pedicure. Oh, okay. I like Wait. my massage feet. Well, there you go. Yeah. Awkward Tommy. Awkward Tommy. A... We're going to have to start calling him that. Yeah. I'm glad he likes Tommy. the nachos, well, though. Yeah. Thanks, guys, for joining us on this journey of delving into the church's apologetics a little more. And I'm sure this is something we'll talk about more. Oh, yeah. This will be a subject that comes up multiple times. Love you guys. Peace out. We'll talk to you later. See ya. See ya.